You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday with Wayne McCurry, except that Wayne McCurry is in the bush somewhere annoying animals. And so because it's International Women's Day, I found a woman. I tracked down a woman, and her name is Joanne Bainham from Sterling Private Wealth. And the reason I did that is because she's very good at what she does. And secondly, she's as annoyed about South Africa as I am. And Joanne, thank you very much for joining me at relatively short notice on International Women's Day 2023, March the 8th. But also, I sent a message to an ex-boss of mine from a talk radio station in Johannesburg. She was the youngest news editor at the time in South Africa. And she's very straight-laced and very strict and would always chastise me if I stepped out of line, which I did occasionally. And I said, do you think South Africa is rude word? And she said, she said, yes, it's totally rude word again. And I've never heard her use that word before. I started to get really, really What's the word? Not upset. Upset is the wrong word because it's all brought about by the South Africans. Well, I, I was disturbed by the GDP figure and everything surrounding it, Joanne. That is the theme of today. And I don't want to rant, but I do want to be realistic about the future of the Republic of South Africa. It is disturbing to me. Yeah, I mean, there are just so many adjectives to describe South Africa at the moment. Disturbing, disappointing, angry, fed up. And the other favourite, Hutful. Yes. You can even say that in your show. Okay. Uh, there are just so many adjectives. I think we have a government, we know we have a government that's completely and utterly incompetent. It's the only way to describe them. And we have a government run by a human being at the moment who's permanently shocked, permanently creating committees every time he wants to make decisions and nothing ever gets done. I mean, I heard somebody recently say something really controversial that, you know, Zuma was better because he at least stole money well. You know, and he got it done. He stole incredibly well. Ramaphosa seems to sit in his hands and nothing ever happens. You know, we have a minister of electricity. We have another minister that's going <laughs> to check on the other ministers to see if they're doing their jobs properly from all accounts. And for that tidy sum, we're going to pay 40 million rand a year. We have hired two more people. So Ramaphosa's solution to the energy crisis in South Africa today is to hire two more people to create an even more bloated cabinet, it, it actually boggles the mind. And the only solution we have is to vote these guys out in 2024. It's the only solution we have. I just hope the country holds it together for long enough. Okay, the politics is one thing, and it's not going to change because there's no succession policy. If Mr Ramaphosa decided because of health reasons or whatever, or he was just, as you said, full of being the president, uh, removed himself from public service, who would take over? There's nobody. There's no succession plan. People don't want to be in politics in this country because if you do something good, you get uh, poisoned. If you do something bad, then you're just doing what the other people have done that came before you. It's a spiral, Joanne. It is a spiral. Look, I'm not quite at that point where I've completely given up on this place because I still live here and I still love it. Yes. And, you know, the, the, you know, we have a lot of things going for South Africa. You just, uh, being a tourist in Cape Town at the moment, you'll just see how incredibly beautiful oh, this place please, is. please don't and come she, up with that, Joanne. Uh, no, no, uh, we've got such no, no, a lovely it, mountain and seas and winelands and game and everything else. It's not to do with that. I mean, we were having a chat off air just now and I'd rather live in somewhere grey and snowy like I am at the moment and have everything that works and rather be somewhere very, very beautiful that doesn't work because I can visit that place if I want to. Do you see my point? No, no, I'm not 
I'm not going to disagree with that. I'm just saying we have a lot of positives still. So we had correct leadership in this country, but we could certainly turn this country around. There's still yes. a lot of people here who want to make it work. As to who they are, God only knows at the moment. I think Herman Mashamba has made some pretty good comments now and again, but his comments on xenophobia are quite terrifying. But he's made the odd good comment. The DAA, for some reason, seems to be hated by so many people in this country. And, you know, if you live in the Western Cape, it works. And it doesn't work for everybody, I'll admit that. But it's certainly better than the rest of the country. And so we've got we've got people who can try and make things better. And as I said to you, I think in my last rant, when I, we spoke about, I think, two, three weeks ago, Yeah. You know, if they could just stop stealing from South Africans, if they could just stop that simple procedure, like people should go to jail if they steal. I mean, go, people go on in this country about how fantastic SARS is. Look how they've turned their business around. Look how much money they're collecting. And my point to that is, if you've got dodgy politicians who are clearly not doing their jobs and giving contracts to mates and not actually getting work done, put them in jail. Check on their tax returns. You'll pick it up pretty quickly. Put them in jail. So that's what I'm saying to you. Let's let's start making some changes. We can't keep faffing about. But again, again this week, Ramaphosa was given a chance. He was given a chance to do something decisive, and he chose not to. Hmm. He chose to hire some more people. He chose to make no. The only person I think in his cabinet who lost their job was Lindiwe Sisulu, who's you know, and what she's done in tourism is absolutely shocking. Uh, we need to get rid of Becky Kelly. We need to get rid of um, Mantashe. But we don't do anything. We just keep hiring the same people to do the same useless job. It's a definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And and that fact is they're not. So we need private enterprise in this country to try and make it turn it around. But I agree with your you know journalist friend or editor friend. We we are seriously in trouble here. Yeah. And one hopes that we could hold it together until 2024. <sighs> but you know that's not the stock market. No, we'll come to the stock market you know. in a second. But before we get on, I don't want to be branded as um, uh, essay negative because South Africa has many, many really, really good people. It could be one of the richest countries in the world with its natural resources, with its beauty, which it could be the biggest tourist destination in the world, but it's not. People come, but not as many as should come. And they haven't been looked after as well as they should be. Um, so, yes, I'm very, very pro-South Africa. I had some really, really good years there. But it upsets me that it's being raped and pillaged by politicians and other people as well. I mean, look, you can't even put up a block of flats now without uh, mafia coming along with AK-47s or other automatic rifles and saying, give us the money. Otherwise, we're just going to close this place down. How extraordinary is that? Look, it's very hard to argue against everything you're saying. It has got considerably worse. And you only have to look at the currency to see what people in the world think about us. Mm. And, you know, it, it gets to the point now where the Wall Street Journal and that wonderful publication Zero Hedge keep talking about South Africa and grid collapse. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pretend it's otherwise. It's dreadful at the moment. But, you know, what do we do about it? At the moment, we're forced to pay our taxes to pay for people's salaries who are incompetent. It's actually that simple. But the only way we can fix that is to vote. So come 2024, we've got to make a decision here. Everybody in South Africa is going to make a decision here. This is the future that we what belongs to us. We make a change. Now, the thing that worries me at the moment is it's a very good chance the ANC are going to lose their majority. And I hope to hell they don't form a coalition with the EFF. Because that would also be truly dreadful for South Africa. Because none of these parties seem to be pro-capitalism. They all seem to be completely and utterly pro-socialism. And you can see around the world, it doesn't work. So you, socialism can work in those lovely grey countries you talked about, like Norway and Sweden, etc., because they have more taxpayers than people on grants. But in countries like South Africa, you can't do that. There are not enough taxpayers. 
So we've got to create capitalist solutions that create jobs in this country to get the tourists here, because that is a huge source of income, get energy up and running. We have solutions. The renewable energy programs are in play. Get them working. Get them on to transmit it onto the systems. You know, if you talk to South if you think about it, in 18 months' time, if we survive all this, most of South Africa will be off the grid. You know, most homes will be off the grid within 18 months. Those homes that can afford will be off the grid. What is ESCOM going to do then? So we are getting there. <laughs> it's just going to take some time. The problem is we've got a government that seems hell-bent on making it worse. Okay. So we both agree that South Africa is potentially a fantastic country. I love it. I, I, I will visit there again, but I would rather live in grey and be orderly than blue skies and have my throat slit or my pocket picked by certain people. Okay, that's the last thing I'm going to say about it. Would you like to end this conversation about politics in the country before we get on to markets or have we done now? I mean, look, Lindsay, I mean, you and I have spoken often on your program. It's impossible to be a South African at the moment and not be deeply upset by what's happening because we have such potential. We're not a country at war. We are not the Ukraine. And yet I think we've probably got as much power as they do at the moment. We, I mean, I'm being terribly sarcastic, but we're, we're not Pakistan or Palestine or these sort of countries where they're war-torn or flooding or we've got natural beauty. We've got incredible commodities. We've got a lot of people here highly educated we have a lot of things that can make this country unbelievable, and yet yes. we're not going forward. So, of course, I'm upset about it. Everybody here who's rational is upset about it. And the reason we're in it is because we're scoring own goals. You know, I mean, just let's take, and I don't want to get back into it, but this kind of military exercise we've been having with the Russian and Chinese, what the hell are we trying to do? <laughs> we funny. need America as our mate. Mm. We do. We, we need a goer to still work for us. We, we don't, when we're in real trouble, we need to go to Europe and America and say, listen, guys, please help us. And, and they're going to turn their backs to us. So there's a huge number of issues in this country. At the moment, we are run by a couple of people who don't seem to care more about themselves. They care more about the anti-party than they do about the country. And that in itself is the biggest problem right now. Okay. You know, and a fair number of politicians don't even have load shedding. They don't even know what it's like. They have no idea what people are going through at the moment. So I'm not disagreeing with you. And I get your point. I understand why you'd prefer to live somewhere safe. But a lot of us still love this place and we really wanted to work. But at the moment, I said I loved I it as well, but I won't no, live I know there. You did. No, no, no. I know you did. And, and all I'm trying to say to you is that I just the only solution we have at the moment is to make your mark and go vote in 2024. It's anything left for us, because if we allow these people to continue running this country, we have no hope. You wouldn't live in Johannesburg, would you? You live in Cape Town, don't you? Because it's beautiful. And because you've been there for many, many years, your children are at school there and all that sort of thing. But you wouldn't live in Johannesburg, would you? If you had a choice of living in Johannesburg or in grey Northern Europe, where would it be? Okay, look, I, I don't live in Johannesburg because I think the safety is a massive impact. And exactly. so I'm not disagreeing with you. And perhaps I'm living in cloud cuckoo land, thinking it's better than Western Cape. But that's not the point, Lindsay. You can't argue the fact that this country has a lot of natural wealth, whether it's tourism, whether it's the mines, whatever you're going to be looking at, whether it's one of the best banking systems in the world, whichever system you're going to look at, it has huge benefits here. The problem we have is lack, complete and utter lack of leadership. Yes, the administration so, yes. of the, it's like a lottery winner. Uh, some women's a lottery. They win um, 100 million euros in the Euro Millions lottery or the American lottery or something, and you give it to an idiot. And you read about the story five years later in the, uh, you know, the Daily Post in New York or whatever news, a sensational newspaper that you care to read, and that person is now on, on benefits. It's exactly the same with South Africa. One of the richest countries in the world, but being misadministered. 
Yes. Look, I think I said this to you before. There is an aspect of countries like South Africa where this is the, I think they call it the commodity curse or something along those lines. Argentina used to be one of the richest countries in the world. It, people used to go skiing there just like they did in Switzerland. Okay? Yeah. If, if you've got great natural wealth, unfortunately, sometimes you're the wrong leadership, it can all be destroyed. So you need competent leadership in South Africa, which we don't have at the moment. Things have to change. But I, I cannot give you answers today, Lindsay, because like all your friends you're speaking to, people are genuinely worried in South Africa. We yes. are very, very worried. And to make your listeners even more concerned, a very reputable bank a month ago said that their base case for South Africa was grid collapse in May. Now, if we have grid collapse in May, we could have civil war in this country. It's going to make the July riots look like a picnic. So all I'm saying to you, it's not like we're not concerned. We are, but not everybody can leave. In order to have uh, civil unrest and uh, right, uh, people have to like each other and get together and say, well, I'm from here, you're from there, I speak this language, you speak that language, let's get together and do something about it. But everyone hates each other in South Africa. And again, I'm being very, very generalistic here, but people do not get together because they don't have a common cause, because they're all fighting against each other at the same time, Joanne. I'm getting a little bit heavy here, so let's move on to... <laughs> <laughs> How's the weather, by the way? It's snowing here in, in the Netherlands, but... Um, oh, beautiful. Ah, it's lovely. It's fantastic. It's exactly what you need. At least if you... You've, Let's you've, talk about Jeremy Powell, shall we? Because that's the real the story. The S&P 500 lost over 1.5% yesterday as Fed Chair Jerome Powell uh, told the Senate Banking Committee that the terminal Fed funds rate is likely to be higher than previously anticipated. The FOMC... The Federal Open Market Committee, which is due to meet later this month, could be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes in the US data if the US data continues to show that such a trajectory is warranted, Powell said. So in other words, we're going back to 50 basis points and we're going to go probably another one and a half percent. This is disturbing, especially as the yield curve is also incredibly inverted and an inverted yield curve, before I finish, has in the last 50 years predicted a recession unwaveringly. We're going into recession, aren't we? Well, I mean, I think if you think about it from October, November last year, people were predicting a recession in the States because it's not like it's just inverted. It's been inverted for a while. It's the, yeah. the, the magnitude of the, of the inversion is now greater than it's been since 1981. So it's, it's a massive inversion. Now it's about 100 basis points, 111 basis points between the 10 and 2 year. And what does that mean? It means short rates are higher than long rates. That's essentially what it means. And it's saying that people think the central bank will cut rates later in the future because the recession's coming. And that's why it's a good predictor of recessions, because that's what the bond market's telling you. But why is so it bad having... to have short-term interest rates higher than long-term interest rates? Please explain that to a numbskull like me. Okay, so in the short term, you have interest rates that you put your money in the bank account and says, that's what we're going to pay you. But if you, if the long, in the normal course of events, a normal inflation type environment, an economy that's growing, the longer end should be higher than the shorter end. You should be paid extra yield for having your money tied up for longer. That's traditionally. Yes. Why does that not happen when people are worried about recessions? It doesn't happen because markets are saying, well, at some point, they're going to cut rates at the long end. They're going to cut them to try and protect the economy again because the economy is slowing and growth is so bad. So the bond market's predicting a rate cut in the future to try and protect the market. So not today, they're not predicting a rate cut. They're predicting one in the future. And that's why you have the long end lower than the short end and okay. the only reason it's lower is because people are expecting growth to be slower 
Okay, let's talk about the recession first of all, because the stock market predicts things. It says maybe 12 or 18 months time, something is going to happen. And we know this because we've got clever economists and analysts like Joe and Bainham working for us. We know what's <laughs> going to happen. So in other words, what you're saying is that there's going to be a recession at some stage in the future. And I keep hearing this from maybe even cleverer people than you, Joanne, saying to me that as soon as jobless claims start rising, that is when we know that there's going to be a recession and that'll be maybe seven to ten months after the jobless claims start rising, which hasn't happened yet. But the stock market is probably saying, OK, I'm going to sell off before that recession. And once the recession comes, it's uh, retrospective and therefore we can start buying. So what is the stock market going to do? I sent out a message to a technical analyst yesterday because I was worried about the world's markets. I said, I think we're going to get a huge sell-off. He said, yes, we are. Um, 25%. And it'll start before the recession starts, do you not think? Okay, so I'm going to say something quite controversial. You, you say markets are rational and efficient in that kind of summary of what you were talking about. I never mentioned either of those words. <laughs> You did in, in a number of manner, in a manner of speaking, by saying you know markets are predicting all these things. Mm. I don't think markets have been predicting any of this stuff. So in the, since October last year until about two weeks ago, markets were just keep going up, and a lot of us said, "What on earth is going on here?" Because the Fed hasn't stopped raising rates. Um, inflation remains sticky and is nowhere near the two percent target that the Fed is is looking at, and markets were going far ahead and saying, "No, no, the Fed's going to cut. The Fed's going to cut. The recession's coming. The Fed's going to cut." And guess what? Paul came out last night again and said, I'm not going to cut. I'm actually going to raise rates. And that's why you saw all these yield curves invert more and why you saw the terminal rate rise, because markets weren't expecting this. I don't think markets have a clue what they're doing at the moment. I think we're in uncharted territory here. So remember the playbook is the Fed. Don't worry about stock markets. You can always go long stock markets. The Fed has your back. They'll cut rates. And for the first time in sort of 10, 15 years now, we have a Fed saying, I haven't got your back. I haven't. And even if a recession comes, I'm still going to cut rates. If inflation's not under control, what, what, what if we're getting in this whole story at the moment? The Fed deliberately wants a recession, even though they say they don't. They deliberately want a recession because it's the only tool they have to control inflation. And you talk about jobless claims. Well, how does jobless claims come about? It comes about because people lose their jobs. Why do they lose their jobs? Because the economy slows. It goes into negative rates. And that's why they lose their jobs. So he's deliberately trying to bring in a slow economic growth rates to control inflation. This is what he's been trying to do for the last couple of months. And yet the market's saying, no, no, we don't believe you. We're going to call your bluff. You'll never do it. And last night he came out and, get and said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to raise rates. And that's why the market got such a fright. As far as I'm concerned, the market shouldn't have gone up for the last three months. Because I don't see anything out there that says everything's fine. It's not fine. The economy is growing too hot to control inflation, which means when the recession comes, it's going to be worse than we originally predicted. Okay, but at least it's sunny in Cape Town. <laughs> Very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to digest no, what no, you what, what, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say mm. in very simple terms, yes. okay, at the moment... You've got a central bank saying one thing. You've got a market saying we don't believe you. Last night, they woke up again and went, oh, dear, but maybe we believe you. And that's actually what's happening here. They've been calling his bluff up to now. And again, he reiterated and said, made it very clear that he's going to keep raising rates. What makes the central bank in America so unusual at the moment is you've got the Bank of Australia saying, look, we're raising rates, but we're getting very close to the end because guess what? The housing market can't cope. You've got the Bank of England saying a similar story. We're raising rates, but guess what? The housing market can't cope. What has made it very different this time in the US is that most people in America have fixed rate bonds on very long-term contracts. 
So what they have seen, higher rates have not led to them having to be a forced seller of their assets. But in Australia and the UK and probably New Zealand and probably Canada, you're starting to see people with variable interest rate bonds who are going to start having to pay higher monthly repayments on their very overinflated houses. Mm. And I think what's happening in those countries, the central banks there are getting very nervous. They might actually cause a huge implosion. But we haven't seen it in America because the interest rate mechanism isn't working as well as it used to. So, so very long story short, Lindsay, I think what the message from the Fed is we're going to be higher for longer. So what does that mean for looking after people's money, investment returns? I think for the first time in years, like you and I have talked about it, yes. there is an alternative to equities. So we've talked about it, we've made jokes, but Tina is dead. There is no alternative is dead. And you probably would have seen the hundreds of new anacronyms coming to the market, but we now have TIA, there is alternatives. We have TASHA, there are some other alternatives. <laughs> Suddenly, people are starting to realize for the first time in years, they're not forced to buy equities to get returns. You can buy six-month paper in the States and get up to 5% dollar returns. That's not a terrible return. It's not. It's so much better than potentially losing 20% of your equities should we see a major fall in markets. So markets have got very interesting. But for a lot of people are going buy the dip every time it falls – I think I'm starting to realise, well, actually, that's not the playbook anymore. I just look at a graph and I look at the S&P on the short term. I mean, the short term graph last night that I looked at uh, after I'd finished watching uh, numerous uh, football matches, uh, there was a huge head and shoulders on the S&P and a negative one. It's, it's going to go down, but it's still mid-range. It's What is it? It's, let's call it 4,000. It could go down to 3,200, 3,300, something like that. Or it could go back to the highs of 4,700. It's in the middle of the range. It's doing absolutely nothing. My best case scenario for 2023 is a flat US stock market. And I know I'm being US centric, but it is the world's largest economy and also the world's biggest financial market center. So flat for the rest of the year, Joanne. Okay, but don't let's forget, I think it was 2000, 2001 when the NASDAQ cracked mm. and then went nowhere for about what took until about 2007 for a lot of these tech shares to kind of recover their all-time highs. Yeah. At the same time that was happening, though, people made a lot of money out of value shares, out of cyclical shares, out of mining shares. And, and we went from, remember, it was all about the new economy companies and we went back to old economy companies. I, I'm of the opinion at the moment, post the sort of recession, whenever that happens, we're going to go into an environment where a lot of these tech and growthy shares because interest rates are higher now and the cost of capital are more expensive, it's the thing you and I have spoken about a lot of times on your show, I think cyclical companies value shares, mining shares could make you money. So I guess what I'm saying, if you're following the playbook of what works for the last 10 years, don't. And in that scenario, the S&P could be flat, but other world markets could be up. So you could have a situation where US markets do very little for the next couple of years, and yet other markets do much better because they're not as expensive. The valuations and a lot of American shares are still very expensive. They're not that expensive in other markets. You know, there's Chinese stocks, if you're brave enough to take the Chinese risk at the moment. There are lots of companies in emerging markets that are much cheaper. Not everything has to be US-centric. So I don't know if you could be worried about America, but actually be mildly positive about other regions in the world. And I agree with you. If America drops 20%, the rest of the world will follow. It always does, okay? Mm -hmm. but, but the reality is, if you're looking for something for better protection... That there are companies out there on low PE multiples, low price-to-book ratios, high ROEs and decent margins that, that are still good companies you're buying. You don't have to go, I don't, don't like U.S. equities, I'm not buying anything. 
And I think there's a different world out there today. What I normally do on a Wednesday with Wayne McCurry from FNB Wealth and Investment is uh, once we finish talking about uh, insignificant things like we've been talking about, uh, Joanne, <laughs> we, we talk about food. He likes food. He likes to eat food. He loves experiments with food. He goes to lots of restaurants. Now, I'm going to have to continue this theme and ask you, what was the last really good meal you had in Cape Town? Because if I went to Cape Town now, I wouldn't know where to go. I'd go to my old places like on Bree Street, um, La Parada or something like that. And I think, no, that's so boring. There must be some really quite exciting places in your home city. When was the last really good meal you had in Cape Town, please, Joanne? Okay, so I'm not a massive foodie. I like good value for money food, if that helps you at all. But I like good food. I so you like McDonald's yeah, and Steers? <laughs> Okay, well, here, here's one for someone. You go to Clare Street in town, which Cape Town still is pretty buzzing and amazing. Yeah. Is Judd's. Judd's Burger Joint. Judd's. Uh, I Judd's. think it's called Judd's. Some, Judd's. It's fantastic. It's fun. When you go there, every single table is surrounded by Europeans, Germans, Dutch, even the Dutch there, Lindsay. And they're having a good time. The food is very well priced. It's delicious. And it's, yeah. If you're in Cape Town, definitely go to Judd's. A burger joint. <laughs> the Judd's Burger Joint, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a burger joint. I think it's Judd, Judd's Local. I think it's called, okay. and it's really it's really good. And they have different foods on the menu, and play lovely jazz music. It's, it's very very nice. Okay, so I don't eat burgers and I don't like jazz, but otherwise, yeah, it, it sounds it, <laughs> <laughs> sounds right up your alley. <laughs> sounds, sounds like fun. Jan Bainham is from Sterling Private Wealth. That was Wayne on Wednesday with Joanne Bainham on International Women's Day. And I'll be back with International Men's Day next Wednesday with Wayne McCurry. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.